You're listening to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Hey, it's Michelle. Welcome back to the Christian Single Moms Podcast. One of the things I have the most difficulty with in this season of my life is the healing process itself. You know, sometimes we have these great breakthroughs and these mountaintop moments where we feel like, okay, I am getting it. I am I am alive. This is happening. And we're able to look forward in our lives. And then just as quickly, it seems like we can be straight down in the middle of a valley. And the healing process for whatever it is you've gone through is not always extremely straightforward. And I think the thing that I struggle with even the most is realizing that as I continue to heal from the breakup of my marriage, I'm starting to uncover things that were there before I even got divorced, before I even got married, and uncovering these hurt and broken places that I've been operating from that not only hurt my marriage but continue to hurt me is it's a good thing that I, I see those and that I'm able to start tackling them, but it's difficult because it just sometimes feels like a setback or it feels like, is this ever going to stop? And those things all seem to continue to add up as you go through the course of your life and you continue to make maybe the same decisions or the same mistakes. And you're not exactly sure, why do I keep doing this? And it can cause us to be not only frustrated, but sometimes just numb, sometimes just feel like we're just coping to get through every day. And it makes us feel like, is this really it? Is this where I was meant to end up? And we hear a lot about the abundant life and those kinds of things. And sometimes it just feels so unattainable. My guest today has an incredible book that helps us to uncover some of what those things are that we might keep circling back around to and look at them with fresh eyes in a way that can help us to maybe expose some of those places where we just keep circling around to and are not able to get clarity on. Her name is Denise Hildreth Jones, and the book is called Reclaiming Your Heart, A Journey Back to Laughing, Loving, and Living. In this conversation, Denise and I talk a little bit about how our hearts begin to shut down when we face various traumas and trials in our lives. And those can be things that have happened certainly as an adult, whether it's a divorce or a death or other kinds of setbacks, but it also relates to things that happen to us in our younger years and how we begin this process of believing lies that the enemy would plant into our hearts and beginning to shut our hearts down and not walking in the life that God has for us. She describes the common ways that we shut our hearts down, but also the tools and the resources that we have available to us as Christ followers to find our way back, to reclaim our hearts, and to walk in that victory that Jesus has claimed for us. Denise is an incredible light, and she has a fantastic story of her own heartbreak and her own struggle to heal, and then what God did through all of that. As we get started, I'd like to share with you about our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. I have a counselor, her name is Judy, and I'm able to connect with Judy throughout the week. Something happens, something great, something not so great, I'm able to send her a message and she can respond right back to me, give me some encouragement. Thing I actually love too is if I forget to schedule a video session with her, she'll actually check back in on me and make sure everything's going okay. It really does feel like this is a person who's in my corner and is helping me walk through some difficult things in life. If you'd like to give Faithful Counseling a try, you can actually go to getfaithful.com slash single mom and get 10% off your first month. 
I highly recommend it. It really does make a lot of difference to have someone to talk to about these things. So make sure you go and have a look at Faithful Counseling. So I'd like to tell you a little bit about Denise Hildreth-Jones. She's the founder and president of Reclaiming Hearts Ministries, and she lives in Franklin, Tennessee with her husband, one Shih Tzu, and five bonus kids who are now scattered hither and yon, as she says. <laughs> I've had the opportunity to meet Denise a few times in person and have benefited so much from what Reclaiming Hearts does as they focus to help us to take back ground where the enemy may have tried to take it from us. One other fun note is Denise is actually the new co-host of Divorce Care's updated curriculum that's just been launched. Divorce Care is a tremendous program, and lots of churches all over the country offer it. So if you've heard about it before or you have interest in it, Denise will talk a little bit about that in this conversation as well. Denise's work has shined a lot of light on my own life and my own struggles, and I'm hoping it will do the same for you. So enjoy my conversation with Denise Hildreth-Jones. Denise, I'd like to thank you so much for just being a part of this conversation today and and for joining me. I want to dive right into your book, Reclaiming Your Heart. And I love this book because it gives me such a clear picture spiritually of what's going on when we have things like betrayal or divorce or breakups, those kinds of things that we're dealing with and how to look at it from a a very clear standpoint of the fact that our hearts are valuable to God, but also that that makes us a target for the enemy. And so in your book, you mentioned that our hearts are Satan's favorite target. I wanted to know if you would talk a little bit about what makes our hearts so valuable and how the enemy works to shut them down. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me and for letting me be a part of of your community. I always count that a privilege. Yeah, Proverbs 4.23, people that have been in the church probably know that one by heart. Above all else, guard your heart. If we just took that aspect of it, first of all, scripture is using really um, extreme verbiage there. It's saying above all. I mean, of all the things it could tell us to pay attention to, it's saying above all else, guard your heart. And then it's telling us to guard it, meaning you don't guard something that number one, doesn't have value, and number two, doesn't have a threat coming against it. That's the only reason you regard something. Mm -hmm. So he's saying above anything else you do, guard your heart because it is your most valuable treasure and there's a real thief coming after it and you're to do it above anything else that you pay attention to in your entire life. Why? Because God has called us into an abundant life. He says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to do what? He comes to steal and he comes to kill and he comes to destroy. And those are progressive. I hadn't thought about that for years. And then one day I was just like, oh my goodness, that is a progressive transaction. He comes first to steal from us so that he can kill from us so he can ultimately destroy us. And I believe what he's after the destruction of is our faith, our faith in God. And we'll talk about that more later. But And then it says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that isn't just talking about eternal life. David said in Psalms, uh, I think 37, 23, he said, I would have lost hope 
if I hadn't believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And God has created abundant life for us here. And we cannot experience the abundant life we were created for if our hearts checked out or if our heart isn't guarded, if it's left unprotected. And I, I know that because I did that and I lived the consequences of those choices. So talk to me a little bit about that. You know, you talk about that our hearts can get shut down. Can you describe what that process looked like for you and how we might notice that our hearts are getting shut down? Yeah, that's a great question. For, for me personally, it, it was incremental. There are times that you have that one swooping in moment like I think of children who are sexually abused and they have this sweeping trauma or children of divorce or say you lost a spouse or you lost, God forbid, a child died. Those are those swooping in moments, if you will, where the enemy just comes with unparalleled aggressiveness and thievery. He comes to destroy you in one fell swoop. But then there are others of us that the stealing is incremental. It's one thing that has happened to us. And then over time, it's another thing that has happened to us. And then over time, and it's another thing that happens has happened to us. And for me, mine was more incremental. Me too. Yeah, you too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I married a man who I truly believe to this day was the man the Lord had for me. And um, I did it very prayerfully. And very early on, it was just evident that it was broken. And so inside of that brokenness, I reached out to friends and was kind of shut down there. I So I learned to that you just couldn't tell anybody that and what you were going through and that maybe what you're going through just need to be handled by yourself. And then I was shut down through fear in my own marriage of expressing myself. And eventually that fear just took over my life to the point that I didn't even know how to, um, I didn't even know what I liked anymore, Michelle. I didn't know how I liked to wear my hair. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what kind of clothes I liked to buy. My my first husband was very creative and very artistic and he would pick out my clothes and he wanted me to keep my hair the way it had been since we met. And, and so I just gradually lost my voice in that. So I think it's different for different people. But some of the cues that I tell people to look for, they sound really kind of silly maybe, but they're really real. and. One of the things I ask people is, when's, when's the last time you've had a belly laugh? I mean, the kind that you're begging them to stop because it hurts so bad. When is the last time that you've done something for just you that wasn't about pleasing someone else or taking care of someone else or navigating someone else's emotions or thoughts or reactions? When is the last time you tasted your food? And you weren't rushing through it or um, worried that, that you had to meet somebody else's agenda or timetable. These are really basic and, and sound kind of silly. I have a list of them in Reclaiming Your Heart. There's a lot more than that. But 
those are just signals for us that our hearts are disengaging to this life that we are called to. Can you sit in a conversation with a friend and listen and be okay if you don't have an answer or be okay if there's some silence and pause and don't feel like you have to fill the air? Those are all things that we can pay attention to. Those are the less what we would categorize as spiritual. There are spiritual things as well, but those are very literal, human, everyday transactions that we make that we may not pay any attention to at all. I think those actually are extremely telling because I think if it comes out in those little everyday interactions, then it's a greater indication that something big spiritually is going on. And I can relate 100% to what you're saying because for me, it did feel like a complete loss of my own identity. And I even spiritualized it in the sense of of self-sacrifice to say, well, I'm worrying about this other person's emotions because it's not, God is taking care of me. You know, I, I want to take care of this other person. And I just found over time for me, what it looked like was enduring bullying as a preteen and teenager and that moving into an abusive relationship really as a, a really young adult and all the while having this practice of making myself really small and feeling like it was a valiant thing that I was doing all the while not realizing as I've read your book this was my heart shutting down this was me putting myself away so that I would not be lost in the shuffle and yet I was lost in the shuffle. <laughs> so I identify completely with these, with the things you're talking about, about not giving yourself attention or focusing on the things that you like and not really embracing what it is that God put me here uniquely and specially to do all in the favor of thinking that I was doing it by denying who he had made me individually. So as far as these little indicators, I think, I think they actually kind of create a much bigger picture when you do notice them all and see them. Can you talk about how you finally came to understand that your heart was shut down? Was there a distinctive moment for you or was it something that, that you gradually became aware of? It was and in both. I, I opened the book, Reclaiming Your Heart, with a very specific incident over a pair of jeans. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> that was so uh, telling to me. The Lord just used that to illuminate to me what I had done with my heart. And I also found a wonderful counselor very early on that just really pastored me in that season. And, and I will not in any way um, underestimate the value of a godly, godly counselor. And there are some out there for every economic status. So don't let finances be a deterrent. There really, really are. But I remember one thing I did is I didn't let my hairstylist cut my hair for like a year. I was like, do not touch my hair. Just do whatever you have to do to make me not look like I'm, I have split ends everywhere. But I want to grow. I've wanted to grow my hair for years and I'm growing my hair. And 
So it's been this gradual experience with the Lord just illuminating things to me that have value to me. One was um, I had never hung a picture in my own home until I was 40 years old. Wow. And Michelle, at my age now, I'm 51. I just turned 51 and I'm about to build my first home. And I didn't even think, like I had convinced myself it didn't matter and I didn't care. Mm -hmm. But I was so deceived in that. And I realized I really, I don't just care a little. I care like a whole lot. So God is just, lovingly use different things to reveal to me the level of which I was shut down, teach me how to fight for my heart, and then show me what really brings my heart to life. And I've learned that whenever I feel like there is a relationship, especially a relationship that tries to, I loved your word, feel small or feel like maybe I shouldn't do something that I really know brings the best out of me. Um, I really pay attention to that because it's usually an indicator that there's something inside of that relationship that is not healthy. It doesn't mean the relationship has to go away. It just means I have to look at that relationship and say, wait a minute, how has God designed me? How has he called me to live the abundant life he created me for? And what does it look like here? It may even mean pressing into things that we avoided for years that an alive heart can't afford to avoid anymore, or it'll lead you right back to where you were. So what are those sorts of things when you talk about that alive heart, those things that in your book, actually talk about that God woos us and that you mentioned, uh, you quoted your counselor as saying, God will woo us to him or push us to him. <laughs> so can you help us understand some of those things that, that we're, our alive heart is being wooed by and how God does that and the role of, of grace in helping us to fight for our hearts, as you said. And we were talking about this in our small group last night, and I was telling them, I believe we all have a language of love with our heavenly father a way he desires to communicate, I see you and you are so special to me. And I bet as your listeners are hearing that, they're even thinking, okay, what is my language of love? And so for some of us, it's artwork. Like you look at a piece of art and it takes your breath away, or you see a cardinal sit at your bird feeder, or you hear the laughter of a child, or you sit on the beach with your feet in the sand, and something in the very soul of you comes alive. And I believe that is directly from the throne of heaven. And I believe those are the wooing places of God to say, I see you. I want to enjoy you and I want you to enjoy me. And this is the life I'm inviting you to. It doesn't mean you're not going to have hard places. It just means you're going, um, you get to know that God's really all up in it, no matter what the space and place looks like. So for me, the Savannah books for me, I wrote a trilogy of fiction of novels in my first marriage that were just about this crazy 24 year old Southern say anything she wanted to say girl. And I thought I, I sent it to a friend and my mom and they were both like, Oh my gosh, this is you. And I'm like, that's not me. There's it because 
the Denise that existed at that time didn't feel like any of that character. She was fearful. She would have never spoken up in the ways that that character did. And it wasn't until the pushing place of God, which I describe as what my divorce was. I believe the Lord said, you have made an idol of marriage. I was raised that if you divorced, that you had no value anymore, that you were done. And I was in the ministry. And here I was fighting for a marriage and not really listening to the heart of my father. Now, I believe there are very biblical reasons to divorce. I am not an advocate for divorce. I believe if you traced all of our issues now as a nation and a people, they would go back to the downfall of the family. Mm-hmm. And my heart grieves over that. But I do believe you can stay in something codependent and that is death and still hold on for the sake of reasons that are not holy. So I felt like my divorce was the pushing place of God. And he was saying, you get to choose here if you're going to live the life I've created you to live or if you're going to die a death I did not create you to die. Now, in your book, you talk about an analogy as far as choosing clubs <laughs> to help us understand where we might be shutting our hearts down and then to ultimately make the decision to, to respond differently. Can you just elaborate a touch on that metaphor? Yeah, um, I like to play golf. I'm horrible, horrible, but it just provided me this really good analogy, probably because I'm so bad at it. But it's kind of like, you get this golf bag and there are all these different clubs and you're like, good Lord, what do I do with all this stuff? But each club has a specific design. So if you get to, you know, the, the tee shot and you use a putter instead of a driver, you're going to have a very different result. But there is a club for every spot that you find yourself on on a green. And so it's learning. Some of us have like favorite clubs we like to go to, like we like to go to fear or we like to go to anger. We like to go to control or we like to go to um, performing, like making sure everything looks all nice and pretty. But if you are using that club when you need the club of faith instead of fear, Are you need the club of humility and vulnerability instead of performance? You're never going to get where you're headed. And so it just is an analogy that's kind of easy to use at the front end of reclaiming your heart before I go through the eight different hearts. And it it just gives people an image so that you can kind of take that image through and like, okay, what club am I about to pull out now that is so familiar, but is not going to do what I'm wanting to do here. I resonate with that performing hearts. The the thing that you just said, as far as, you know, you're, instead of going to vulnerability or humility, you're going to performance. And that's me. That's been me my whole entire life. And the thing I love about in the book, how you describe the different types of hearts and how we shut down in these different ways. To me, it sort of feels like, you know, personality tests and things that people like to use to sort of diagnose themselves. And the way that you write it is so clear because, it, it does give you a sense of not only here, 
here's what you're doing, but here's what you should be doing instead. Or this is the thing actually that you are running away from. And so for me in this season, learning, you can't rely on performance. I actually can't anymore. I'm one person and three kids. I cannot perform. I feel like talk about mercy. God was like, oh yeah, I see you. Now I'm going to put, now you're in this situation and you're going to have to learn how to be vulnerable and let people help you and stop putting on this show that is really keeping you from great connections with other people and with me. And then came COVID and changed everything. Right. Right. And it took it to a whole new level, especially for single moms. If anyone listening knew, you know, four months ago that your children were going to be home 24 seven, not just 24 seven, but then they were going to tell you, don't let your kids out of your house, you know, and, and they can only be with each other. Good Lord. Half the time they, they like each other least of all the people in the 50 mile radius, you know, or their siblings. You have, it is an utter dependence on the Lord. And I say this often, sometimes you kind of think you're dependent on the Lord. And sometimes the Lord will let you know, uh, uh, no, you are utterly dependent on me. And this is one of those moments. I love what you said about having that dependence on God, because I realize, as I'm joking about, you know, oh yeah, now I'm in a situation where I have to and all that kind of thing. Really like the heart of it, that God has helped me to understand in this season is that I have not been listening to how he's trying to show me love that in me performing, I'm not stopping to receive. And that has affected a variety of different relationships in my life. And even my relationship with God that I'm so busy doing that I haven't stopped to listen and take in what he has. And that is something that as I've continued to walk and really just slow it down, that he surprises me and that I can reconnect to his heart. And then I do really feel my heart coming alive, even in a situation like COVID and like, you know, now kids are back to school, but they're at home and, you know, that sort of thing that I understand now where I was running myself ragged, trying to plan every last detail that if I reach out and ask for help, or if I just wait a moment that he surprises me so often. And then I just have so many more of those moments where I know he sees me. In Denise's book, she talks about the various types of ways that we shut our hearts down. And those often can lead us to feelings of loneliness. I've developed a free resource over at agapemoms.com slash free called The Seven Loneliness Traps. You can go there right now and download your free copy. In the free guide, you'll have a look at the seven major traps that keep us experiencing loneliness, but also the seven ways out to a life that's so much more exciting and full. Again, you can go and download your free copy at agapemoms.com slash free. So we talked a little bit about those clubs and the types of shutdown hearts. Would you give us just a kind of a brief overview of some of those? Yes, we talk about eight. There are performance, disappointment, control, critical, angry, shame, fear, and weariness. And with each one, when you get to the root, it's because you believed a lie about God. 
that's why I said in the very beginning, when the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he ultimately comes to destroy our faith in God. That's because if you got to the very root of each one of those hearts, somewhere you have believed a lie about God. So the performing heart says, God hasn't made me enough. So I need to make sure I am whatever that looks like, you know, perform my way through it, pretend my way through it, whatever that looks like. Control says God isn't big enough. So I need to be critical says God expects me to get it right. Well, that works out real well, doesn't it? It takes us all 10 minutes in a day to realize we're totally incapable of getting it right. And so shame says God can't use me because I'm no good. I can't tell you how many people, how many visions, dreams, restaurants, books have never been written. Visions have never happened because shame has totally destroyed people and they've lived their whole life believing God can't use them because they're no good. And shame says the cross wasn't enough. Jesus said, I went to the cross despising its shame. So the cross totally got rid of shame. We were never created to carry shame. Conviction, yes. Shame, no. Shame is not our inheritance. Conviction is our gift. But so many people have been swallowed whole by the lie of shame. So I just take people through that. And then we talk about the four R's that are um, repentance is where we start really looking at our hearts and saying, is this in me? Am I operating this way? Then we do reflection on the truth of God's word. And what does God's word say about this? Um, then there's relationships. And we talk about just the, the power in the relationships that we've been given and why they're, why they're so invaluable in this life. And for the life of me, Michelle, I can't remember the four are. When we believe a lie about God, then God is only has access to that box in our lives. And salvation, the very word means a broad, open, expansive place. And yet whenever we're believing a lie about God, all of a sudden we're living in your word, small, cramped. And this, this little tiny circle of our core lie belief is the only space and place in which God is moving. And I say often, I need a God bigger than that. And the only way to set God free at work in our lives is to recognize the lie. Oh, that's the first one, recognition. There it is, is to recognize the lie so that then we can dismantle it through repentance and then knowing what the truth of God's word is. Because you can't dismantle a lie unless you know what is true. So going back to your personal journey through this, can you talk about your decision to reclaim your heart and then some of the specific changes that you made in the process? Sure. I remember the day that I filed for divorce and it may it may have even been the day my divorce was final I don't remember exactly but I recounted in my book flying solo which is a journals from the year following my divorce I told the enemy I said you may have stolen my marriage because I believe he did I don't believe that divorce was any part of God's plan 
You may have stolen my marriage, but you will not rob one more day of my life. And I walked into my counselor's office the very first day, and I said, whatever got me here, I want it out of me. It wasn't about my former spouse. It was about me owning where I was, trying to be as obedient to the Lord as I could be. And that was the first step. And I, I did not run from what I saw in me. And I pushed through the hard things first. I, d- I did things that we would do together. I did them on my own quickly because I didn't want them to be stolen from me. And I loved to cook. And so I started inviting my single, widowed, never married, divorced friends over. And like once every three weeks, we'd cook this huge dinner and laugh until we couldn't talk. And um, But I made decisions and I invited God into everything, Michelle. If I was reading a book, I'd invite him to read it with me and show me what he wanted me to see. If I was going to the movies, I asked him to go with me. It didn't matter what I was doing. And that developed such a sensitivity to his voice. It's one of the reasons I love walking with God because it's kind of, John Eldridge kind of describes a very similar story in Flying Solo that I wrote. It's all journals to the Lord and it's me processing the pain of my divorce with him. and. So just invite him into the journey. That is the best gift you can give yourself because God's not going to lie to you. What other habits and practices do you find are helpful and necessary in this reclamation process? One of the, the tools that I use most Jeremiah 33, 3, one of my favorite passages of scripture says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and hidden things that you have not known. And I have learned to ask questions of the Lord. So I'll just give you a quick incident. I married a man with five children. I'd never had children. And there were a lot of big reactions going on up in my heart to really small things. And I remember one day um, wanting to take, wanting Philly and my oldest bonus daughter to go to the movies. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to see if she just wants to go with her dad and not you. And I was like, but Lord, I know what her answer is going to be. And I don't want to know her answer. And, but I knew I had to give her that opportunity. And sure enough, she just wanted her dad. So they took me, dropped me off at the house for them to go back to the movies. And Michelle, when I got home, I crumbled. And I said, Lord, why is this so painful? And he said, because you've had a lot of rejection. And this feels like rejection yet again. And you wish it didn't affect you, but it does. And so the question is, how long now am I going to allow it to affect me? Something that used to could affect me for a week now can maybe just affect me for a couple hours. But it's using that recognition tool with the Lord. And then it's going back to what the word says. And I am not rejected. 
I am the most, I am the apple of his eye. And that is not my inheritance. And so when that comes at me, if I can stop and not just go down the rabbit hole, and it does take time. I found that to be true as well, that when we think about that scripture tells us that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, that he wants us to rely on him and to find relief. He doesn't want us to stumble around trying to figure it out and that he will bring something. If it's not clarity, it's peace and peace in what has to be unknown sometimes. And it is a discipline though, of, of taking those thoughts captive and those emotions captive and saying, but God, what do you say? And to be gentle with ourselves to say, yeah, I have endured a lot of rejection, but that's not the final say. That's not, not how I need to look at this situation. And I can choose to understand the circumstances differently. And then I can choose to respond differently. So I want to shift gears a little bit. You are the new co-host of Divorce Cares Curriculum Update. That's so exciting. Can you share a little bit more about your role? And for people who are not familiar with Divorce Care, I actually do get emails about it really regularly. People asking me, have you heard of it? Do you know anything about it? So to talk a little bit to, to that and the benefits of the community. Yes, Michelle, it's just, um, I'm beyond humbled and grateful for the partnership with Divorce Care. They are just the most genuine, integral group of people. It's out of church initiative, but Divorce Care is the specific arm. Me and the the president and founder are the host and just kind of help you navigate what you're going to see and what's going on. And we do both share some personal stories of our own journey because we've both been divorced. And then it takes you with some experts on different topics from grief to uh, loneliness. They have one on biblical divorce, on sexuality. They are not afraid of any of the difficult topics. And then they have people who walk through it. And I'm telling you, Michelle, this new curriculum, they are as honest and vulnerable, and they do not leave anything hidden. I mean, they tell you exactly how they felt, exactly how they, what went through their mind, what's going through their mind. I was honestly, gratefully surprised at the real level of vulnerability from the past attendees and people who shared their personal stories. But it also gives you a real community to, you know, shared experience is shared experience. And if someone's never been through divorce, they don't understand what it feels like. If someone's never lost a child, they don't know what that feels like. So I really am such an advocate for shared experience moments. If there isn't, you can go on their website, it's divorcecare.org, and they will, I think you can put in your zip code and it'll tell you if there's one near you. If there's not one near you, you can contact them and they will work with you to get it into a church in your area. There's some previews up on our Reclaiming Hearts Facebook page, on my Denise Hildreth Jones Instagram, and they can kind of look and get a taste of what the curriculum's like, but it is absolutely wonderful. And they also have it for kids, which I think is just fabulous. Denise, you've offered so much clarity and encouragement in this conversation. I appreciate it so much. Before we part here, I wondered if there's perhaps one thing that you think 
every single mom should know that you'd like to share? I think it's what we all need to know in this life is that we are the most valuable thing in this world to the heart of our Heavenly Father. That He created us so that He could spend eternity with us. And that was so important to Him that when man chose to move outside of his boundary of love and created what we know as the fall, he was willing to send his most valuable treasure, his only son, to bear our sin. Of all the things he could have chosen to do to express his love, I don't think he could have chosen anything that would express it more in the fact that he took the greatest grief in this natural life that anyone would ever experience, and he chose it. But he did it for us. So um, single mom or single dad or grandmother or grandfather or child or brother or sister, um, that is our inheritance. And nothing screams of our value more than that one singular sacrifice. That's such an important reminder. I'm, I'm just, I think sometimes I get caught up in life and I just forget that. I just forget that that is how valuable we are to the heart of our father. Thanks for that. Denise, can you tell us more um, about how we can connect with Reclaiming Hearts and Divorce Care, the things that you're involved with, and just keep, uh, keep up with you? Uh, reclaiminghearts.org. You can go there, or it'll take you to denisehildreth.com. You can get there as well. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And we have all kinds of offerings. We have video devotionals. We have books and resources. We do uh, what we call weekend experiences, which are kind of weekend intensives where we take the principles of reclaiming your heart and unpack them in a weekend. And we do them for singles and co-eds and pastors and ministry leaders, and married couples. We do them for everything. We're not doing them right now, but we're trying to figure out what that's going to look like in the future. And then divorce care, like I said, is accessible at divorcecare, I think it's .org. And you can find a group anywhere. One of the things that Denise pointed out in our conversation that I never really even thought about was the fact that if the enemy can get me to just shut my heart down, he doesn't necessarily have to go after the rest of the things in my life. He may, but in essence, I'm cooperating with him if I allow myself to believe those lies and to make myself small, rather than walking in the uniqueness of who God has made me to be and how that connects me not only to him, but to other people. That process of reclaiming your heart is difficult and it's challenging, especially when you don't maybe always see the things that you're doing or you started to believe that maybe these things that you're doing are just part of your personality, like it has been with me and being an overperformer. But it is so worth the work. And I just love how Denise's message helps me to understand that there's always an opportunity to try again. 
If you were encouraged by anything you heard today or maybe even challenged by something you heard today, I'd love to know more about it. You can go to the contact page at agapemoms.com and connect with me that way. Or you can join me on social media, Facebook or Instagram at Agape Moms. And I just have to say every like, every share, every email, every comment, it just means the world to me because it just reminds even me that we're not going through this alone. And it's just so awesome when I hear about women who are receiving encouragement through the podcast and what Agape Moms is doing. So thank you so much for joining me and being a part of the community. And I look forward to having you with me next time.